Hey guys, I don't know if you're like me, but I love Count the Dings and everything it has to offer. I just can't find everything I need. You know, I know about Cinephobe and I know about the mailbag and I know about Bomb, but that's all we do, right, I mean? No, we do so much more. What? Yeah, absolutely. If you sign up, patreon.com slash count the dings, you'll find a plethora of other content, fresh content, extended content, the OG pod overflow, the Cinephobe cold opens that we've taken and made their own thing to live only there the re-watchingtons bomb and it's full Ooh. and unadulterated cut early drops of cinephobe episodes and so much more said the og pod now is it new or is it old mace i'm glad you asked that it is a new incarnation mm-hmm. of the old og pod oh. so it's me zach trey Waz, tom i love those guys just like we always were going back to the true hoop days mm-hmm. we're recreating that magic recapturing it and putting it back out we're talking hoops we're talking pop culture and most importantly we're talking for 40 minutes for free mm-hmm. but then another specific patreon exclusive segment for every one of those episodes funny enough about that og pod you're getting tom and trey on mondays you're getting me and waz aka zosny on wednesdays Amin's floating in between i'm a floater you never know when you're gonna get Amin in those so you gotta listen to them all and what if i'm not sure what maze looks like because i've always thought he's a fat man with a fedora he's got a weird voice how can i see for myself what this maze character actually looks like it's crazy you don't know the answer to this mm. because it's the cinephobe pod youtube page what the ct5s on the cinephobe pod youtube page you can look at all of us you can get all the og pods on youtube too at count the dings one on youtube at cinephobe pod on youtube patreon.com slash count the dings gets you everything all in one feed you can link it to your spotify and now enjoy the show Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Tom, is there really such a thing as good bachelor party food? You know, Kevin, I would tell you, but I just can't remember. This is Pack Your Knives. I'm Kevin Arnovitz. And I'm Tom Haberstroh. 
Tom, episode two of season six. Again, for our listeners, Tom Colicchio's favorite season, critically acclaimed among all the producers and people inside the Top Chef empire. We're rewatching it. Uh, you should too. And, you know, Tom, it, there's so many time capsule things here because as, as we know, this was this was. Well, it was released in 2009. I, I believe production was probably, what, 08 or 09? Yeah, yeah. And uh, we will we will ask our information officer to track that down. But some wonderful little time capsule moments and also kind of a big Voltaggio episode, if anything, sort of a, a real encapsulation of all things Voltaggio. Yeah, and last week with the, the fact that Michael Voltaggio didn't get in the top four because he simply uh, was on the wrong team – or at least he was on Kevin Gillespie's team. And so therefore there was only one candidate to move on into the final round, the judges table. I think it clouded the fact when you were watching this show in 2009, you might not have known the greatness at, that is Michael Voltaggio simply because he wasn't in that top four. But in this episode, holy cow. Yeah, I've been trying to think about how much the fact that we are coming off a top chef all-star season informs my belief as I'm watching it like – I'm watching a little D-League ball here. Uh, and I don't mean that as any disrespect to the chefs, but it is – and I don't know if that's a function of, oh, this is season six. Like if we had just come off of 15 or 16, would we be looking at season six through this prism? I, you know, I think about that same thing and, and we talked about this you know, earlier is the idea of if you watched 1989 NBA basketball and watched – 2019 basketball like these are two different sports and maybe yeah. just over time um the playing field just gets better and sharper and people are just more into cooking and therefore over time you're just better and it pays dividends in ways that kevin gillespie is a better chef than he was when he did uh uh this show and i think there's very something very real there but you know when you watch this i was thinking to myself kevin you could do a better dish. I've eaten Kevin Arnovich's food. I've, I've watched you do some of these dishes. And man, you look like you had more equipped to do a better job than, than some of these chefs. Yeah. So th- this is sort of a conversational topic in my household right now. <laughs> I, 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 I try to remain – I mean I have a, a defined self-deprecating streak. Uh, I, I, I try to remain humble. Uh-huh. But I, I have y- – I kind of am, I'm of the opinion that I think I could still be in the competition right now. Like, how do you fuck up ceviche? Right? Like, like they got like three hours last week. Like, I so I am sort of, I am of the belief that with some good sense, I will still, I would have survived the first two weeks of season six. Yeah, you're not saying you're winning. The chef I am today, not maybe the chef I was in 2008 or 2009, but I, you know, I'm not winning. I might not even get up there at the judge table, but I think I not only would not have lost, but I might have even been able to one of those two weeks stay out of the bottom. Okay, so the dish that you would stay in because of is the, you're saying it's the ceviche from Eve. Well, yeah, in the sense that I know how to do a crudo or a ceviche. Like I would have gone to Whole Foods. I would have gotten a ton of like really nice salmon. Uh, I would have cubed it. I would have, you know, dumped it in with a little sake, a little soy sauce um, just for, a, you know, or, or, or yuzu for a little while, just enough to kind of, you know, penetrate. 
pick that shit up with some akura, like those salmon eggs, some daikon radish, and just kind of do a little spoon of, you know, of my favorite crudo of, 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 of salmon, daikon, little salmon eggs, uh, maybe some shiso. And like, you're Voila. in and out. Yeah. Like, I'm not going to win. I'm not going to beat Voltaggio with that dish, but I'm sure I'm not going to go home for that. You know, you can't fuck that up. I mean, this is not that hard. And again, and I feel like a, I feel like an asshole. You're that guy who's like, I could make more free throws than Dwight Howard. Yeah, I'm. You know what? That's exact. That's the perfect analogy. Like, I can't go on the floor with Dwight, but in a free throw shooting contest, <laughs> not me, because I probably am like a 11 percent free throw shooter at this point in my life. But I haven't picked up a basketball in seven years. But and also because like Eve Arnoff can cook. We'll get to her later. Yeah. Like I, she's done some great stuff in the last ten years. And Top Chef is a little crazy, and and I don't know how you do under the under the lights to say nothing of the sun. But I'm just yeah. That was sort of what Eric and I were talking about. Was I think I could have gotten through these first two. Okay, weeks. I'm going to give you that. I think you were you would at least be in the middle in our points system last season. You would have gotten a plus two or a plus three, right? I think that's fair because there's another dish, and we'll get to it later. That I kind of felt like really. That that's what you made, but let's rewind a little bit here, Kevin, because the the yeah. the whole theme on this one was bachelor and bachelorette party. Um, starts off with the craps table, a lot of Las Vegas, you know, uh, casino motifs here, um, and I loved what Jen Carroll said, which is, "Dear America, chefs don't make a lot of money," and I think we don't spend enough time on this. Um on this podcast is just for a lot of these chefs, this is such a big break is getting on top chef, right? Yeah. I, so upstairs for me and the duplex I lived in for 13 years was a sous chef to one, uh, to a chef in Los Angeles who has been on top chef as a guest judge. Um, and by the way, this chef treated her beautifully, uh, could not have been a better boss, but, um, my, my friend was her sous chef and, Worked her absolute ass off. And like there just never was much money. She worked harder than anybody I know in Los Angeles at their jobs. I mean she's coming in late. She is waking up early. Um, constant burn marks on her skin. And like most chefs don't make very much money. It is a it is an undercapitalized uh, field. There is there The margins are too thin for frankly anybody to make a hell of a lot of money. Uh, and yeah, I mean, I, I think it's one of the things that makes Top Chef special is it, that that whole dynamic of being underpaid feeds the yes. aspirational part of this show. And it, I think it, I think it's a thing that works in the show's favor, even if it works obviously against the people getting paid very. Is getting the fifteen thousand dollar chip like that's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. And for a Top Chef All Star season, you kind of feel like Brian Malarkey, like when he has a chance to win a $20,000 quick fire. Like, is that going to really change things? Is that going to move the needle for Brian Malarkey? I don't know. But what I do know is watching this season, after watching the Top Chef All-Stars, there is a mo- uh, just an, a mood of desperation that you can tangibly feel when you watch this show. Well, also, this is during the Great Recession. And I think it's another thing. To oh, consider. yeah. I don't, I mean, I don't know what these chefs are going back to in 0809. Because you're talking about the worst economy since the Depression. And I do – you know, one of the things I think we can remember is that whole kind of – the next wave of restaurant boom really happened in 11, 12, 13. I mean we caught maybe the beginning of it in Miami. But 
Uh, I mean, they are going back to a really shitty economy that affords chefs even less. So I think that's interesting. But yeah, it does speed the whole aspirational part of this show. Uh, and it was interesting to see. So the quick fire, Tom, uh, you want to you want to explain how this? Yeah, worked? it really didn't. It really didn't work for me. Um, it was a cool idea, but it was just the luck of the draw. No pun intended that they had to, they had to create dishes with a number of ingredients that showed up on a roll of two die. And so if you rolled a snake eyes, two, two ingredients, you had to make a dish in 30 minutes with just two ingredients and move on in the competition. That sounds really difficult. What doesn't sound a lot, very difficult is when everyone was rolling like, you know, sevens and eights and nines and tens and so the quick fire was roll these two die you have those many ingredients that you have to work with in this quick fire and for most of the people it was like oh i get like six ingredients cool 10 ingredients cool i i guess this is a different quick fire kevin if a bunch of people do snake eyes and a bunch of people turn up threes Right. And I, I think for me, at least the preferred number for a quick fire would be like five or six, because I, I do think there's that whole Top Chef thing where if you're in danger of trying to be too cute if you get 11 or 12. Yeah. The I think problem. there's virtue to keep it. Right. It's a Kasuji issue. Like he would roll like one of those Dungeons and Dragons dies that goes all the <laughs> way to like freaking 20, you know, but I would want five and a half, six, six and a half. I mean, to me, that's a good over under. Um, Kevin wins it and he has 10, but like that guy knows what he's doing. Um, but it, it was uh, Todd English was the guest judge, um, uncommonly good looking for a chef. Uh, and I mean, no disrespect to the chef community, but I'll, I'll say no more. Um, and, you know, they just got to do the, the, with their ingredients. And, you know, Kevin gets the 10 and nails it. I was expecting coming on the five sixers to, to nail it because, again, it's a lot you got to consider. Um, what, what else was I mean, it was kind of I, I'm with you. It wasn't my favorite challenge. Um, wait a minute. Wait a minute. It wasn't it, Kevin. It was Michael Voltaggio because he got immunity going into the next round for his gazpacho. Right. And he did kind of a, a de, uh, deconstruct. Not a deconstruct. It was, it was a gazpacho. You know, Jin had another good showing with, you know, something that I thought wouldn't win or the smoked salmon just because it kind of, it's, it, I mean, it's a, it's a product that, that's already there. Mm-hmm. And yet, yet she got that. Kevin, Kevin showed well as, um, and, and to no surprise, the, the Brian Voltaggio is not a quick fire guy. <laughs> narrative is is just it's eternal tom it is like the guy doesn't have a real knack for for quick fire and i still can't identify what it was here it was that his fish was a little uh, it was poached not long enough but there's just something about brian's game that doesn't lend itself to 20 minutes right he's a he's a he's a shooter not a dribbler like for some reason he just can't put the ball in the deck and on this one uh, I guess they, you know, he's Danny Green. He's Danny Green. He's going to be a two-time NBA champion, maybe a Finals MVP one year. But you know what? Like, don't ask him to put the ball on the floor. So he get he gets knocked for I think the fish wasn't cooked enough, and also too much yuzu. And I kind of feel like the puree that he did. I almost feel like he did this almost this exact dish in Top Chef 17. I'd have to rewind and, and watch, but it, it kind of felt like a Brian Voltaggio dish and, and it got him on the bottom for this. Yeah, I, uh, it, you know, there were so many fun little, again, I was talking about the, the time capsules, the chimichurri, which Todd English called the sauce of the year, yes. totally brought back. Remember, yeah, that was the year that like chimichurri was like the, the essentially the new chutney uh, next to every protein dish, yes. right? Um, it was also funny to see 
that uh, English went with the interesting when he didn't want to insult, you know, Eve uh, on her on her quick fire. Mm. Uh, that that blue cheese with whatever the hell else it was. Um, but yeah, I mean, this was a totally passable quick fire challenge. Um, Jesse got dinged for not having enough sear on their scallop on her scallop, which um, totally fair. Yeah, because uh, that I mean, that's the brownie, best part. Like, yeah. yeah. But that brown butter does to that little because that's that's sort of the that's the contrast, right? Because I like my scallop when I sear it, and we pan sear scallops a lot here. Um, can you do you know, it with I olive oil? That. I feel like you can, right? Like, yeah, I actually, you know what I use? I use a combo of olive oil and butter. Okay. That's kind of what I always like to do. But it's really fucking easy. I mean, you get, get you got to get it really hot, and then you just you plop it down and don't touch it. There's always this sense that you kind of want to no, don't fucking touch it and then what i do is when i that sear is kind of right there i sense it's right there i turn off the pan and flip it and so you still have some heat coming off that pan but it's decreasing and what i find it gives me just enough cook into but i get that nice almost raw in the middle man sear scallops are the easiest best home food ever kevin i have a question for you yeah this episode was 44 minutes for me and i don't know what happened but at the end of this quick fire, Allison turned to me and said, well, what about Isabella's dish and Ron's dish and Eli's dish? And then I got to thinking Ash and Hector and Preeti. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think they skipped seven dishes on my, on yeah. my, on my watch. Maybe you got a different version, but I, I missed seven dishes or something like that. No, they still had to conform to the hour time slot back in the day. On Bravo, you know, if you're running it from, I don't know for you guys is in the East Coast, what, 9 to 10 or 10 to 11? And that's it. And you got to do, you know, your typical 15, 16 minutes of sponsorship. So you got, what, 16 chefs? Yeah. Like, you can't do it all. Wow. I mean, this was sort of one of those things where you're essentially, it's a sports center highlight, right? Like, wh- where was that at bat? Where was that? You know, like, it doesn't matter. They can only really accentuate the top and the bottom, especially in quick fire. In the elimination, you obviously need to get every 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 dish a, uh, some visibility. Yeah, it's so funny the production. We talked a little bit about last week. I mean, that's one of the features. I miss having going back now. They don't have the words. You know, I love when they just sort of flash the pan of the dish, and then it says, you know, seared scallops with X, Y, and Z, and it stays and there get for a, a while. Full, yeah, right. I like that. I just also because with so many chefs, like I freaking forget. Like when they were at the judges table again this week, it was just like, "What remind me what he did?" Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, so it was, there was a lot of that. Um, let, let's talk about the elimination challenge, uh, which I, I disliked in about seventeen different ways. Oh, but I want to get your yeah. I want to get your impression first. Okay, as a guy who's done a bachelor party and has been part of bachelor parties, has watched my wife go to bachelorette parties. This was a whole lot of cringe. A whole lot of cringe in a few different ways. And one of which is this didn't feel like a bachelor party to me. Didn't like it. It was just an awkward. It was awkward. It was forced. Like the people, if you're going to actually go in and do a bachelor party themed, like make it kind of debaucherous. This was the most debaucherous thing that happened was the top chef guys took their shirts off and jumped into the pool. Like I, I, like it seemed like it was just not, um, it was not a, a, a smart way to go about things in terms of staffing. Now the other part, which is I want you to address, is 
the whole sexuality part of this. It felt that they, with Ashley and Preeti, that they had the little uh, um, discussion about it. Uh, and Ash was like, uh, Ash had some things to say. But one of these things is the time capsule of going back to 2009 and the, the temperature of the country and how it's different then than it is now. And this was around, not really around the time that I got married to Allison and we weren't allowed to get married officially in this church in Kentucky because by letting in, they were an open affirming church in Louisville, Kentucky that my, my wife belonged to that they were able to have gay people or trans in the, in the um, congregation that you could not, they stripped the, the state stripped their ability to officially marry people by law because they were open and affirming. So we had to go to the courthouse and this was 2014 or 2012. We had to go to the courthouse and get married at the courthouse in, in Louisville, downtown Louisville, because things had changed even then. So like in 2009, what is the state of the politics and sexuality and getting married at this point. Yeah, I mean this is still a very charged issue and you know you're at a point where even just less than 5 years earlier in 2004 gay marriage was a major major issue in the presidential in November election, right? I mean the ballot measure in Ohio, uh several across the country Karl Rove kind of famously marshaled Republican resources to make sure that these Measures were on the ballot so as to enhance turnout of certain demographics that would want to come and, you know, codify against gay marriage, but also get their votes in, presumably for the Republican candidate. So it's a very charged moment. Don't forget, um, you know, we're we're, we're years um, ahead of you know 2013 and 2015, where you have major major cases where yeah. marriage begins. You know, I mean, you have you have major cases where 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 marriage begins to become uh, anti marriage laws uh, begin to come down. Uh, you know, favorite, oh, you know Windsor in I think 2013 and Obergefell in 2015. So it's still a very charged thing, and I have to say, like as a like, so it's complicated for me. One is throughout my youth, like '93 when I came out, until marriage was never really my issue. Mm. Um, to this day, my partner and I aren't going to get married uh, or aren't married, aren't going to get married, largely in some sense because I think weddings are just a scam. And <laughs> if I wanted to flush – if I want to flush $60,000 down the toilet in four hours, <laughs> I have infinitely more interesting ways to do it. So like my position has always been, look, if for whatever reason we have to do this, we're going to go to the courthouse. Yep. We're going to have a set pre-fee lunch at our favorite place with like eight friends and then we will be whisked away to LAX for a first class ticket to Athens at which point we will then get on a boat and drift around um, the in the Aegean yeah, Sea yeah, yeah. for two weeks and I'll still have 15 grand left over right like like the idea of just a wedding to me is just it's an absolute scam. but is this binary um, Men versus women, bachelor versus bachelorette party. Does that uh, – I don't know if the word offends you, but – Yeah, I mean so it was – I mean look, I do think it's rubbing your nose a little bit. It is sort of it, – it's by definition at this moment in time an exclusionary institution. And I think – look, that doesn't mean that I, every wedding I went to, present company included, yours in, in Louisville, that I'm sitting here saying, yeah. yeah. Um, but I do think there was – I mean it was interesting I think early in my adulthood – the number of times I wasn't given a plus one 
uh, but, you know, friends of equivalent grade uh, who weren't married and, and weren't even dating anybody explicitly, you know, were given plus ones. I mean, there was something ex- that seemed exclusionary mm. about the practice. That kind I, mean, of I don't know that- hit on a little bit in this episode. Yeah, like I'm probably not I'm probably not reacting the way Ashley did. I'm probably somewhere between Ashley and um you know Prita and and you know maybe Ash. But I mean it I get her point. I mean, I was actually just as offended by the gendered teams. Um just cuz it's so retrograde. It's so <laughs> basic, you know. And by the way, there are a lot of other things about the episode like like having to pair your dish with a shot. I, I, I mean, know. I again, know. Basic, right? But just even then, and, and wait, I got more. I got more. Tom. Wait, but on that shot one, Moscow Mule is not a shot. It's a cocktail, right? It's a co- it's a shot in a cocktail, or a cocktail in a shot. And by the way, I, you know the fashion at that party. Why am I seeing a guy in a trilby hat? I mean, maybe it's two thousand nine, <laughs> but like, there's so much shit in this episode. Um, to say nothing of that, like a bunch of forgettable dishes. But uh, I am a big season six fan. Tom, I look forward to progressing with you in this season. I am there are going to be some amazing moments. This episode was not one. No, of them. it wasn't. Um, there was, there's. Was, oh, by the way, wait, one more. Why is there a guy in a sweater? I in a V-neck sweater in a sea green V-neck sweater. It's Vegas. I mean, there's so much heat that like the shiso leaves are curling up <laughs> and wilting, but this motherfucker's in a, a sweater. Scarf. Yeah, he's wearing a scarf like, and he's got mittens on? on or something like that. Like what is so there's just so much wrong I, uh with this episode, but anyway. Yeah. And I I don't know. I I felt it was a cringy episode on multiple levels. Um and we we've hit on that, but I I think when it came down to it, um the 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 challenge was the men had to prepare dishes at a bachelorette party. The women in Top Chef, the chef testants, had to prepare for the men um, at the bachelorette bachelor party. Um, who do you think did better? Because I watched this thinking that the bachelorette or the 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 women for the bachelor party did a better job. I was surprised that the, that the men actually came out on top. Hello, listener. Guess who's back? It's me, Anthony Mays, your favorite butcher-turned-podcast producer, and I'm here to talk to you about ButcherBox. ButcherBox is the most convenient way to get high-quality meat and seafood that you can trust delivered straight to your doorstep, free shipping, vacuum-sealed packaging. It's ready to go right then. It's ready to pop in the freezer. You get exclusive member deals and a variety of high quality cuts at an amazing value. Going to the grocery store can be a huge pain. You're usually in a rush at an inconvenient time. You're waiting in line at the meat counter. You're taking a number. Maybe this place doesn't have a number. You're jostling with fellow customers. You're trying to get that ribeye that you want or that nice piece of salmon. Maybe the butcher that you're dealing with has a bad attitude or something. I don't know. That was never me. I promise. But maybe it happens. ButcherBox takes all of that out of the picture. You are always prepared with meat and seafood in the freezer, and you're not going to find quality for this price anywhere else other than ButcherBox. So sign up at butcherbox.com/dings dings and get our special deal 
ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional $20 off. You can choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com dings and use code dings, D-I-N-G-S, to choose your free for a year offer plus get $20 off your first order. No, I, mean, I think in terms of the clunkers, and again, I, I just I'm with Jen Carroll on this. Like, it's a dumb way to divide teams. It's just a stupid way to pick knives, do whatever. I, I just and I again, you know what's funny? I don't think Top Chef would do it this way. No again. way, not um, a chance. No, but in terms of, I mean, I didn't think it was close. I mean, you had many more clunkers, unfortunately, on on, on the women's team. You know, you just had there were a ton of clunkers, right? There was Jesse's clunker, there was um, Treaty's clunker, there was. Eve's clunker, uh, you know Ashley's panna cotta was a clunker, um, and I think I'm even forgetting what something. Are you I, mean, doing I don't think there panna were any panna cotta. I mean, come on, in, in uh, 115 in the, degrees uh, outside. And, and and by the way, rookie Top Chef mistake: never make two when you can make one. You double the chances. And the funny thing is, is if you would, have, it's not like a second amazing dish would have gotten you any farther up the standings than having one amazing dish, right? Like you can only lose with that second dish. You can never win. This is the you duo, know? the duo curse, Kevin. The duo curse right. of Top Chef is a very real thing. Brian Malarkey last year, uh, last season in All Stars, did a duo and got hit, and he said it. Top Chef does not like duos. And maybe this is no. where this um, started to catch fire a little bit is in this episode. Uh, she tries to do two dishes and at the judges table, just very much like, why did just focus on one? That one dish, yeah. if you just well, gave us that one dish, Ashley would have been great. And poor Ashley was just up there. She was so self-deprecating. I felt so bad for her. She was just, but, but, yeah, I've, she knew it. She knew it. It's the iron law of Top Chef, Tom. The iron law of Top Chef is... Your success and your failure will be judged on the lesser of your two dishes, never on the greater. That's right. Right? If you did one dish, good dish, the very fact that you didn't stop there is going to be held against you. Right. And this is the iron law. And, and you know, it's old school. So, um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I obviously I, I think the, the compliment of me, the male-made dishes were better. Um, but, uh, yeah, it, it's just – it was. It was not. You know, there's so many things. So many things I didn't love about this challenge. I mean, I mean, what's worth talking about here? Um, so the the Thai lettuce wrap cup chicken um, was my thing that I underlined that Jesse's dish was something that you could have nailed better or done something better than that. Um, and they actually didn't like Eve's dish more so than than that di- that j- uh, dish. But I think when you look at um, Eve. Let's get into Eve because I think Eve is a robot sent from another planet during this episode. The whole ninja, the whole fact that she's named a ninja and then she's a clumsy and she's – there's like this little cutaway of her holding a knife and I think it was Jen who's like, watch out for that knife. I just – I burst out laughing because like in my head I had this theory that Eve is – just the way she speaks, I was like, I don't know – I don't know if Top Chef is the right thing. Maybe she just needs to be at a restaurant because being on camera and doing all this stuff, I feel I feel like someone's going to get stabbed. And then boom, she almost stabbed someone. And I was like, oh, no. And Eve, um, Eve I, even in the last episode, I just felt like she was a fish out of water and uh, didn't really belong in this, in this group. But her resume is outstanding. 
And when she came up with the shrimp and avocado ceviche, I was just like, oh boy, um, that's, that's not good. Well, I was like, actually, I was, you know, my thing is, okay, she'll survive because how do you fuck that one up? But um, what's interesting is um, she actually done, she's had some, some, some really interesting stuff. She has a place uh, that is loved in Ann Arbor called uh, Frida Batidos, which does Cuban street food. And they just opened location in the last year, unfortunately, um, in down in Detroit near the ballpark. And it's kind of a it's a it's a fan favorite, Tom. I mean, Frida Batidos, it's a cute space. Uh, Cuban street food, fast, casual, and, you know, so she's done really good work since her uh, unceremonious uh, ejection from Top Chef for being quite possibly the worst two-week chef uh, in the history of the show. Um, I I actually uh, looked at this, Kevin. I actually looked up the the Yelp. I don't know. I'm one of these guys that actually, like, uses Yelp, even though I feel like uh, a lot of – Chefs hate the fact that um, customers use Yelp. I, I use Yelp a lot and just to kind of go through menus or kind of just see what they're about. And this restaurant that Eve uh, is running right now and has been for a very long time, it's one of the most popular restaurants in Detroit. Yes. It's it's four and a half stars on Yelp and it's rated by – it's the second most highly rated restaurant in like the burger or lunchy category. And it's like an institution in Detroit now. And I wish I'd been to Detroit more to speak on this, but um, that's a high bar to clear in Detroit. If you're a really good spot in Detroit, you're gonna you're gonna have a long, long um, shelf life. And Eve has done an yeah. amazing job. Yeah, I mean, you know, her location in Ann Arbor has been is just legendary. It is it is very much part of sort of the college town's life. And as you said, just it's it, it incredibly admired uh, what they do. They do so. Very well. Yeah, Yelp is kind of an interesting one for me. I don't particularly care for the ratings. Where I find it incredibly useful is I'm in this area. What is within distance, mm-hmm. and then I will sort by. I will sort by rating because I feel like a really superb place will never be lower than a certain amount. But but I've got some absolutely favorite San Gabriel joints that have like three three and a half stars, and I don't give a shit. Yeah. Like I, that's 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 some bullshit. I I will go on my own instincts there, but I do love it as a map function. Mm-hmm. Because you can just filter, is it open now, uh, genre, whatever it is. Like I can I, I can totally do You this. know what's funny about that place um, is on the website for Eve's restaurant, um, there's like a little bio about Eve and it lists like 15 amazing bullets about her career. You know what's not on there? Top Chef. Top Chef. And that's usually yeah. like bullet number one for almost every chef that has been on Top Chef. It is like bullet number one. Even last week, Gen Z, when it, like Jen, I think still in her bio on Instagram, like boom, there's Top Chef season six. And Eve just – there's nowhere on her website that you can find that she was on this show. And it just goes to – I think it's a great thing that – Someone who got eliminated after two episodes not only doesn't have to make mention that she was a top chef to have a successful restaurant, but she has a successful restaurant that top chef didn't necessarily ruin whatever momentum or whatever talent that she had. And I think I thought that was pretty cool. People at University of Michigan do not care. They love this place. Um, Good for her. You know, I always think about the conversations we've had with Tyler Anderson. Um, and, and just, you know, to what extent is – if you lined up the chefs by overall – and again, I don't know what the criteria are, 
But if you is how much is Top Chef truly finding the best chef of the fifteen, or is it just this ineffable skill that you just happen to perform well with these conditions? Um, something about the show. There, there are chefs that are amazing chefs that would be out week one. I remember um, uh, that, that there was um, there's a great oh now I'm forgetting his name, uh, but there was there was a couple seasons ago where they invited a whole bunch of people out um, and then they only like they eliminated a whole like slew of them before the like the elimination challenge of episode 1 do you remember this where they just had like 30 oh, and yes, then yes yes all right like there's an LA chef named uh, Laurent Cunel and who is a wonderful chef he's been doing pop-ups for the last several years um you know he had a the Bistro K in Pasadena. He's a really good chef. Um, is he a top five Los Angeles chef? No. But he like – and Tom like Calicchio was kind of like mean mm. in the sort of like – and I forget it was like a prep episode. But like that guy was ejected before even they even got the season run. Yeah. And I remember yeah. watching that and thinking like I've eaten this guy's food for years. He's a really good chef. And just kind of watching I was – like, I felt terrible for him because um, – you know, he's again, but I, I just it always goes back to obviously, look, Valtaggio can cook his ass off. We know Kevin Gillespie can cook his ass off. We know Michelle King can cook her ass off. Right. Like, but I do wonder to what extent the conditions of the show just freak out people. And I don't know if it's performance anxiety or just what each thing demands. But do we ever really get a sense like I feel now embarrassed looking at her achievements saying, oh, I could have beaten her in weeks one and two, though I think I might have. Um, <laughs> yeah. But yeah. in the same way that you could top beat Dwight Howard at a free throw contest, but not in exactly. a dumb contest, right? Exactly. Right. Now, here's my question, Kevin, is rewinding back to this episode with Michael Voltaggio. He wins immunity going into the elimination challenge, okay? Have we ever seen someone win immunity and do that well on the elimination challenge? I don't know. Let, let's, let's go through it. Because Michael Voltaggio gets immunity after the quick fire and he doesn't have to cook anything. It's usually the immunity curse where you go in, you're playing with house money in the elimination challenge. You're just like, fuck it. I'm already in. I don't have to win this challenge. I don't need the bragging rights. So I'm just going to coast. I'm going to fuck around and I'm going to use this as essentially a mulligan going into the next week. And Michael Voltaggio comes in and does a dish that uh, is delicious and the judges love him for it. They think it's inventive. It's great. And I was stunned by that. Is like we rarely see that on this show, Kevin, where someone gets immunity and doesn't just take a nap. Yeah, I feel like it's a recent thing though because I do feel like there have been instances and uh, again, we will need Top Chef historians to come in here where – just the ability to relax and do whatever the hell you want has produced some really good outcomes. Again, though, that said, I can't remember specifically. That would be actually really interesting um, for our Top Chef stat heads is, is there a greater variance of finishing when you have immunity and elimination challenge? In other words, I would think that the distribution of ranking would be either very high or very low, right? Because you're going to kind of – you're either going to, as you say, phone it in. Or because you don't really have to worry about elimination, you're just going to throw caution to the wind 
and just play it out in which where, as you know, like great things can happen when someone who is creative doesn't have any restraints or doesn't care if they fail. Right. They're going to go with a risky dish that they knew had a boomer bust feel to it. And if you hit, man, it is going to be awesome. And like Stephanie in Stephanie Smar in the all-star season, she got immunity and just bombed the, the elimination. And we know she's a great chef. We know that she could have dreamed up a good uh, restaurant for that episode. But with immunity, I think it might have just kind of crippled a little bit of her uh, her creative juices or is that her execution or her motivation, whatever it is. But um, I thought Michael Voltaggio did a great dish here. Um, and the fact that he had immunity, uh, I thought was was really interesting. And the other thing I wanted to hit here is Michael Phelps made a, an appearance in this. Like that's kind of the time, time, time capsule is they – they were talking about in the in the break room while they were waiting. Uh, someone made the comment of like Michael Fel- like I'm 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 really killing it, Michael Phelps, baby. And I was like, oh yeah, Michael Phelps was a thing back in 2009, and it was just one of those time time capsule moments of like, oh yeah, like who was the Tiger Woods, who was the LeBron, who was the Steph right. Curry? It was Michael Phelps at this point. Yeah, this this man was the gold standard of competitive achievement. Yeah, in other words, yeah, that right. was cool. Um, so a couple of funny things. Um, I have a bunch of notes here. There is an interesting dynamic that was exposed in this episode, and, and it's one of the great controversies. Not controversies, it's one of the great debates of Top Chef, which is, you know, you notice that a couple of the chefs on the bottom reassured themselves where people came back for seconds and thirds. Oh, pretty. And yes. one of the yeah, right, and, and also um, Jesse as well. And there is an interesting point where I do wonder. That you know, oftentimes when they have mass events, they have everybody. Oh, the fans will, the, the diners will pick their favorite, and then we'll pick ours. I do wonder to what extent the look. I think the things that are great are great, but had we pulled the bachelors and bachelorettes, who you know, I, we don't know how sophisticated their palates are. I don't know how much if they are quote unquote foodies, whatever that's well, worth. Been, yeah. But there is a, there is an interesting thing where if like. What if we replaced Padma, Tom, and Gail and the chefs with like just four normies from middle America for the entire season, right? Who have no expertise in cooking, uh, no expertise in cuisine, but look, they're human beings with taste buds. Like what would the results be? And that's what's so tricky about having a challenge where you're serving a bunch of drunk idiots, right? Is like you're 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 trying to create a dish that's going to please an audience, your customers that are three sheets to the wind and just you know there to party, right? And you're trying to pair it or have draw in, uh, inspiration from a shot that might not might not even actually be a shot. Like I'm sitting here being like, should Preeti be? I would have done the same thing, which is get up there and say. I'm shocked that you guys didn't like my dish. I thought I had a good dish and everyone I I served it to was coming back for more. It kind of gets back to the heart of this show, which is, you know, how much should you be thinking about the confines of the challenge, the spirit of the challenge? How much should you be trying to win over your customers versus winning over the chefs when they come over? And, you know, this is kind of a crystallization of that. Yeah, I – Again, I don't. I, I think for our uh, rewatch here, I don't want to get too far into the weeds, but I know that there were some interesting dishes. Give it up to Hector for going vegan with a marinated tofu and kind of coming out on top. Mm-hmm. That was good. Um, 
you know, the ones that got dinged were the, the again the chicken cups and look, Jesse nailed it in the first quick fire, so I I, I don't want to you know I don't want to drag her, but yeah, that you would think that the ceviche and the chicken cups are the easiest things to do in this competition, and yet they were arguably the two worst dishes. By the way, love Brian Voltaggio's guac and chips meringue. I mean, he is showing off. That is a really fun dish. Oh yeah, that was so, that was brilliant. Um, again. Not a quick fire guy, but elimination challenge. Brian Voltaggio is your guy. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Eli is not a guy we've seen a lot in the first two episodes, but the man can cook and, uh, you know, got some, some, some praise for his Thai tuna tartare. So it'll be interesting to see. Again, you, you bring up such a good point. Like when you're at the 44 minute format and you've got 16 chefs, like some of these people are as MIA. I mean, I didn't see Ron all day until he jumped in that pool. <laughs> yeah. And he he did a lobster cocktail with habanero. And I'm telling you, Kevin, not many times that I like to have habanero, but it ain't going to be when it's 115 degrees out. Oh, I thought the whole thing with the crazy spicy food is that the reason tropical cultures tend to veer toward them is because it actually cools you off. Oh, see, yeah, is, maybe you're the pepper guy. Look, I, you're, you are the pepper. Guy, is it, so is I, it I like comparatively, wanna, yeah. like it, it, it kind of adjusts like your temperature, your internal temperature. I, I don't know, but I would say if I'm sweating through my shirt and someone gives me a habanero uh, cocktail, I'm not going to be pleased about it. I want something that's light, cool and refreshing and yes there is kind of the citrusy uh bite to habanero that that certainly like a jalapeno might not have but i just i i noted that is you know it looks so hot out there and i want a ceviche dish i don't want um like a super hot habanero slice in that ceviche um closing thoughts tom i mean it's uh I'm I'm happy to be two in. I'm looking forward to kind of it whittling down to some really good chefs because there is a just a ton of talent on this season, uh, and and I'm looking to kind of get it more concentrated. Uh, I'm looking forward to restaurant wars. But uh, in, any closing observations? Yeah, did you um, anything production wise? Did you notice anything? Because we spent a lot of time in the first episode, you know, analyzing the 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 actual nuts and bolts of, of the show that has changed. Did you kind of get pick up on what I was saying about the confessionals, how they're looking off camera? Did you notice that? Yeah. Uh, it's a, it's a different, it, it actually seems a little more less intimate. It does. Um, yeah. it, it, it may, and, and as a result, less confessional. Yeah. Uh, more sort of color commentary. Yeah. And you, so you're absolutely right. In fact, looking at it, after listening to you last week, yeah, it, it makes sense. And again, my my big critique right now is I I miss at the judges' table having the dish reminded of it, like getting to see on screen what the dish exactly is, component parts, all that's come. Um, and if obviously they address that, but uh, and also I, I think it it just the absence of whole characters from each show because they're so constrained by time, and it's not like the current day where you can just hey we're gonna go one fifteen, why not? We're just gonna go one fifteen this week. We got a lot to take care of. And you're back to the old, uh, old analog one hour format. I I wanted to ask you. It seems Mateen, your boy, loves American girls. How do you feel about that? Um, Mateen, you know, it was it was funny because he was the only passable body in that in that pool. <laughs> um, he said, so you know that that was interesting. I, thought, I, I was like, oh, okay. no disrespect to Kevin Gillespie, my my pal, my friend. Like you know, I, I am coming to your restaurant, not his. 
But the uh, team yeah, taking sure. out his scarf and hanging it. I don't know if you caught this, but he took out his red little scarf and then like dried it out. It was adorable. Um, oh. He, uh, he, Another another one that um, well, that, so the comment in my house was, and again, I am not female oriented, um, but like, let's just say somebody in this house was like, yeah, those girls aren't that hot. Yeah, but I I thought the same thing was like when Mateen the dudes certainly were not. Okay. Yeah, when Mateen said, "Oh, these American girls are so hot," I was like, "Oh, like I'm I'm curious to see what what he's talking about." I didn't really feel that all that much, but you know, this is 2009 and maybe, you know, tastes change over time, but the, the episode itself, it was contrived. The, the elimination challenge was contrived in a way that when we had the producers on the show and Tom Colicchio on the show, they kept saying, well, what's the challenge? And I kept coming back to that with this is that they came up with a good idea of bachelorette party. It's Vegas or bachelor party. It's Vegas. We got to do a bachelor party. But the whole, like, the shot thing didn't work. The teams thing didn't work. Um, I even felt awkward by they were sitting in that little cabana. Did you feel kind of claustrophobic when they were tasting the dishes over this little tiny, like little, little ottoman that they were like cupping this lettuce wrap and dropping. And there was this moment where Todd English, um, it has this like giant shiso leaf hanging out of his mouth. It was, it was great. I did not notice the shiso leaf hanging out of the mouth. That's that something I normally would pick oh, up. Oh, it was, it was it was a great cutaway. Yeah. Um, yeah. I also appreciated Tom Colicchio's sunglasses that were kind of it was oh, tilted a little. Panned bit. in this household. Panned oh. <laughs> in this household. All the fashion was panned in this household. Um, Tom, I do want to pitch you on something because I've had this plan for a long time now. Uh, I am. I have been to several bachelor parties. Uh, which makes me feel good because it just means I have I have friends close enough who'd, who'd, who'd invite me. Uh, always straight guys. I have not been to a gay bachelor party. And I have planned two of them. And I think largely because I am the gay planning guy and I will figure out the hotel and, the, and all the logistics and the restaurants and everything else. And uh, so I have been asked to plan two and, and have executed. Uh, I have an idea for a travel agency called Brogo. And what Brogo would do is it would plan your bachelor party for you from an expert so that you don't have to. And it would just be, you want a golf trip? Great. You want a little whiskey back roads of Kentucky? We can do that too. You want Austin, Texas? We're there. Uh, you want Vegas as pedestrian as that is? Sure. We will make it work. And so Brogo would just be <laughs> bachelor party trip planning. And you, and by me, by Kevin Arnovitz. Mm-hmm. I I'm in. I'm in. I've often felt that because I have done a bunch of bachelor parties in Vegas. Uh, my brother's bachelor party was in Vegas. I've done the the fishing trips. I've done New Orleans. I've done a bunch of bachelor parties, and there's always that moment of anxiety of like, there's so much to plan, and all these people need to be like. You need to be like chauffeured around because everyone's just going to be really drunk and just not thinking and things needed to be like very organized. And part of it is finding that balance of like spontaneity of, uh, hey, let's just do whatever we want and like have the time of our lives. But you also need to kind of like have some guidance on having a reservation at a restaurant. The most right. You're not going to get eight guys into a, a decent restaurant on a Saturday night without some planning. You got to commit. You got to commit early on like we got to plan this out. Um, I just did one at Myrtle Beach and what uh, – I know. Oof. I know. 
I know. Oosh. I know. Hey, Kevin, Oosh. look. You couldn't. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Kevin, um, you know, our friend, um, uh, our friend in, in Boston, uh, this is this is one of the things where I was like, you know, being in the South, it's a cheaper bachelorette. But Chris Forsberg at at NBC uh, Sports Boston, he's got family in Myrtle Beach, and he gave me a couple. Wait, this was his? No, this is. I'm just. Oh. Uh, I was planning like, a bachelor party for years. in Myrtle Beach for my buddy, and Chris Forsberg and I were doing a podcast, and I was like, oh, I'm going to Myrtle Beach next week, or whatever it was, and he's like, oh. Oh, I go to Myrtle Beach like a bunch of times a year, every year. Like my mom's family's from Myrtle Beach. So I have all these spots. And we like he talked to me about just game planning for a Myrtle Beach bachelor party for a while. And one of the things we settled on was um, a Brazilian steakhouse. Now, Kevin, I know some people might not be down for a Brazilian steakhouse, but I had a bachelor party, Kevin, when you're drunk and you just want to – Oh, hey, 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 hey. I, I'm not – listen. As a carbophobe, we've had this conversation a million times on this podcast. You know, I am a gay man from Los Angeles. I just want protein and greens. So, you know what? Like, I'm the, that that particular subgenre of what fat, not fast casual, whatever that sort of sit down. What, what, what's that place that everybody goes to? And the NBA loves it. Uh, Fogo to chat. Fogo show. And then there's look. There's also uh, this. Oh, I forget what it was called in Myrtle Beach. It was a hit. I mean, you're talking. Meat after meat. Oh, I want the ribeye. I, I want the no filet. And I'm like, that's actually a great bachelor party. That's a big time move, Tom. I, I applaud yes. you. So that one is w- what we hit, um, and that's kind of the vibe that you want is just gluttony, right? And on this this episode, uh, not feeling that that whole vibe there. But you know what? Next time they go to Vegas and they need to figure out how to do a bachelor or bachelorette party episode i can't think of anyone i would want to produce that episode than kevin arnovitz now we know I'm a- you are a top chef expert and a bro go uh consultant i am looking for seed money if anybody would like to finance Brogo, i think it is a great concept um and uh i'm open for business and is this is this uh in multiple cities or would you try to just master let's say uh los angeles nope i i will it, globally i will i mean from from sort of from scotland to melbourne i can plan a bachelor party <laughs> okay. anywhere all right so this is it i uh, this is this is how my, i'm gonna lose you kevin is just you're gonna go yeah. off into this brogo uh company and i'm, I'm never gonna see you again my coffers are up. <laughs> For Tom Haberstroh, this is Kevin Arnovitz, and this is Pack Your Knives. With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in education into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu.